2 Peter. Probably some of you um, noticed as John was reading, if the uh, distraction of the timing didn't throw you too badly, um, that he read verses 12 through 21. Uh, we spent quite a few weeks together in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read a little bit of that this morning uh, just to make sure that you have the context in your mind. And then we're going to uh, pray and then we'll look at verses 12 through 21 or we'll begin looking at verses 12 through 21. Let's read uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Father, help us this morning to see your promise that we can grow, that we can continue to grow, that we can be conformed to the image of Christ, that we can be Christ-like in the way we behave ourselves. Lord, that we don't have to behave ourselves like Adam anymore because you've made us new creatures and you've given us not only these exceeding great and precious promises, but this divine power that can give us this divine nature here, now, on earth. That we might be the men and women that you'd have us to be. Lord, that we might be blessed by your power, by your will, by your ability to be that which you'd have us to be, that which we would rejoice in being involved in, that it would benefit, so wonderfully benefit, all of those around us for their good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. It's important that we realize as we continue our study of 2 Peter that the, the, the central message, if you will, the point, what this book is about is God's promise of healthy growth. God promises that you can grow in a healthy way today. Today, right now, where you are in your life, you can grow in a healthy way. Now, after verse 4, it says in verse 5, and beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Now we don't have time to go through all of those again, but what you see is this. This is the, what growth looks like. This is what growth looks like. It begins, once you trust Christ, right, add to your faith. So First, you must trust Christ. First, you must 
personally trust Christ for your salvation. If you're not a new creature, the, none of the rest of this matters to you. If you're not a new creature, this is just religious effort to you. It just sounds like good religious behavior. But God is not interested in good religious behavior. He's interested in conforming us into the image of Christ. And how does that look in our lives? And what happens is from the moment you trust Christ, from the very beginning, now I didn't understand this, I didn't understand this book when I was saved, we understand so very little about the depth and the wonder of God when we're saved. And yet we have such a longing for the goodness of God in our lives. And so what happens is this, we trust God and the first thing he does is work virtue into our lives. In other words, the wickedness, the sinfulness, the terrible things that we were like before, the very first thing that God says is, we're going to get rid of all that. We're going to stop living like that. And we're glad to stop living like that. You know, Brother John was talking about uh, baby Christians who have zeal without knowledge. We don't really understand much of anything. We're swinging our Bible with both hands. We're telling our extended family. We're telling our co-workers. We're, we're, we're making terrible, drastic mistakes the whole time. But we sure know Jesus is awesome. That's the only thing we're sure about is that Jesus is awesome. And that the Word of God is true. Those things, and that I no longer want to do this anymore. No more drinking in my life. No more swearing in my life. No more of these things in my life anymore. These things are not going to be a part of my life anymore. You don't even understand why. You don't even really understand it. it's because this is not how Jesus behaves himself. And this is no longer how I'm going to behave myself because I'm a new creature now. Praise God for that. But that's the beginning of it. He goes through this list of things, right? I don't have time. I, I really almost every week want to take the time to go through this list so that you'll understand this is what God is promising you. I promise you, I will give you the power to trust me for virtue and then knowledge. And then on top of that knowledge, temperance. And again, temperance means you're not going to blow up anymore. Temperance means you're not going to act out in your flesh anymore. And everybody in here who's a new creature says, well, that's the one I need right there. That Lord, rescue me from me. Rescue my family from me. Rescue my neighbors from me. Rescue my coworkers from me. Rescue us all from me. And God says, I promise, I will do that. And then he says, the very thing after that is what? Patience. Patience. Trust me. Stop trying in your own strength. You know, the patience that we need in our life is primarily because we keep trying in our own strength to please God instead of humbling ourselves and letting God do what only God can do in us. And as soon as we begin to understand, as Bobby, Brother Bobby McKinney sings in a song that really has been a tremendous help to me, as soon as I finally fail... In trying, I will find success in dying. Once I realize that I can live in Romans 7 and Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me, but I don't have to live in Romans 7. I don't have to try and fail and try and fail. I can just fail and give up and say, Lord, you do it. You do it. But it has to be done has to be done. I cannot be this kind of a man anymore. I cannot be this kind of a husband anymore. I cannot be this anymore. Lord, you'll have to conquer this. And then when he does, he gets all the glory. And that's wonderful. If you could do it, he'd let you get the glory. But you can't do it. So let him do it. And let him get the glory. Right? And after this patience, patience allows us to come to a place. Now you'll notice what happens is after patience, there's godliness. And then godliness, there's brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness leads us to charity. Boy, we see some maturing here. And again, I know I don't have time to talk about it all over again this morning, but, but brotherly kindness is this. Brotherly kindness 
It's us all walking with God in such a way that we love one another, like God would have us to love one another. And the world sees awfully odd people, right? Really, you guys are awfully strange. You seem to care about each other, not just take up offerings for each other. You seem to allow each other to make failure in each other's lives. You seem to have this in your life, and yet you seem to love each other anyway. You seem to really, really have something different than we have out here in our Moose Club or this benevolent organization. I'm not picking on any of these other benevolent organizations, but there's something different between the people who are truly new creatures and those who just have some kind of club that they've joined. But see, church is not a club. Church is an assembly of people who are here because Jesus is who he says he is. Amen? The only reason, the only reason that I ever went to church was because of who Jesus was. Now, at the beginning, I went to church because something was lacking in my life. But once I realized that I was never going to be what I needed to be and that Jesus was going to have to make me the person that I needed to be, it makes it easier for me to allow you the time to grow just like God wants you to grow. Amen? So here's what God is saying. Be patient. Not just with what God is doing in your life, but what God is doing in your brother's life and in your sister's life. You say, well, you know, it's easy for me to be patient when God is at work in my life because I am the star of my own movie. Really, it's all about me, right? Right? We have a t- I mean, really, honestly, there are a couple hundred people here this morning, and everybody has a tendency to come into the room as if it's all about you. But it's not about you. It's not about you. Once you get past that, it's not about me. Once you start realizing that God has often, God has you here to be a help to somebody else. Not like you're a champion. Not like you're some master. Not like you're some tremendous person. But because God wants to use the vessel that you live in to help them, to love them, to care for them. And you just get to be involved in it. That's what God wants us to understand. And once we can have this together, as God wants us to have this together, this is what church is meant to be, then we have charity. That's the last thing, right? So the end of the commandment is charity. It's it's on the wall in the back of our church. It's the whole point of Tidewater Baptist Church. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. The whole point of why we gather together is so that the love that God gives us, not only can we have it for each other, we can have it for everybody around us also. Yes? And we wrestle not with flesh and blood. They are not our enemies. We are not about, um, we are better than they are. We are not better than they are. Jesus is better than all of us. But Jesus is not only better than all of us, he's willing to rescue all of us. And that's the Savior we needed. That's the Savior that they need. Amen? That's what God is after. That's what he's wanting to accomplish. And then he says, if we have this, right? This is uh, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. If we have this, then there will be fruit in our lives that will be beneficial to others. But if we don't have this, if we don't grow the way God wants us to grow, then we will be that barren field. We will be that unkept field. We will be that terrible briar patch that's horrible for everyone. You might still be born again. You might really be a new creature, but you sure are useless. And how many of you are aware of that, that ability in your own life? When we are weak because of selfishness, our selfishness hurts everybody around us. And God is promising to conquer that. Amen? That does not have to be the reality of your life anymore, praise God. God is greater than that. And he says, I will take care of this. And you can be fruitful. You can have in your life what I want in your life, and people around you will benefit from it. That's what he's saying. So then he says, uh, and this being, and this being the, the case, he says in verse 10, Uh, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. In other words, boy, this is such a blessing to me. 
One of the things that happens as we mature, we do not become better than other people. We just become aware of our own weakness. Therefore, we no longer walk in our flesh, and we walk after the Spirit instead. And the Spirit is strong enough to conquer our flesh, praise God. And because of the conquering of our flesh, there is a change in the way that we live, and we no longer fall like we did before. We do not have to, listen, listen, listen. You don't have to live in Romans chapter 7. Thank God for a Christ that will never leave you nor forsake you. But thank God for a Christ who's strong enough that you don't have to live in Romans 7 for the rest of your life. You can, you can live in Romans chapter 8, right? Ironically, you can go from Romans chapter 8 into Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 is where you start weeping for everybody around you. Romans chapter 8, the end of Romans chapter 8, all you're doing is this. Woohoo! Because it's awesome. You go read it. Go read the ends of Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. I could never fail. I don't have to live this way anymore. I'm so thankful for such a great salvation. And I am just so wonderfully happy. All I want to do is just run around and smile and laugh and joke and have a great time. Then, here's what happens. This reality sets in. People around me don't have him. People I love don't have him, right? That's what the Apostle Paul says. I am so excited about this, and yet I would give up my salvation, and I'd give it to my brothers, the Hebrews, that don't realize that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the promised one. I want them to know also, and that's how we feel about our fellow Americans. It's how we feel about our brothers and sisters around us, our extended family, our coworkers, our neighbors. We just want them to know that Jesus is who he says he is, and we would trade our salvation for them, but you can't. Because you have your salvation, and praise God for that. You cannot lose it, and praise God for that. But for them to have it, you can't give it to them. They're going to have to trust Christ also. Amen? But let me say this. If you want to help your neighbors, then stop walking after your flesh. Do you understand what I'm saying? You want to help your extended family? Then stop walking after your flesh. Your flesh hurts everybody. Because when people see you in your flesh, they say, well, if that's what Christianity is, I want nothing to do with that. And that's not who Jesus is. And you know that. You know that's not who Jesus is. And you're thankful. You know, Brother John was talking about uh, being out in a far field and turning around and coming back and God receiving us. And, and, And praise God for that. But I can't be walking out in that field all the time. I can't be going out and doing the things that I'm not supposed to be doing. How can I, if I'm dead to these things, how can I live any longer therein? Amen? Praise God for this. Wherefore? So because that's true, that brings us to verse 12. Because that's true, that brings us to worst, right? wherefore. Why is the wherefore, what's it there for, right? Why is this here? And the answer is because of everything we just did to, just to get to this point. Now, it works out well because we're just introducing this passage today. And you, in order to introduce this, you really need to see it in its context. And to understand what God is saying is this. I can so change you by my power, I need you to understand that. So now, here's what he says. Let's read it together. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Now, you might want to pay attention to the word remembrance in the next few verses. I want you to remember what I can do for you, right? I want you to remember these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. In other words, you've already believed the gospel, but I want, and you already are established in the gospel. You're already a new creature. Praise God for that. Now, I want you to remember what matters day after day after day after day. That's what he's saying. Yay, I think it's meat. I think it's important. I think it's proper. 
As long as I'm in this tabernacle, as long as I'm in this earthly body, as long as I'm here, Peter's saying, as long as God has me here still, it's important that I do one thing, and that's this, that I stir you up by putting you in remembrance. In other words, here's the thing. Listen, look, look, look here. Somehow, somehow, pastors, preachers and teachers feel the need to be clever in the pulpit or in the classroom. Something new, something exciting. Nope. You know what you need? The Word of God. That's what you need. You know what you're going to need tomorrow? The Word of God. You know what you're going to need the day after that? The Word of God. Always. Because it's the only powerful thing in your life. Everything else, everything else may be encouraging, even exciting. In other words, I could preach, and t- I'm telling you, it's very easy. When I, was in, when I was in Bible college, I did, right? When you're in Bible college, they actually teach you to be clever while you're preaching and teaching, right? You have really wonderful, I had wonderful alliterations, really great acrostics. Here's my points. Aren't they wonderful? Aren't they marvelous, right? And I got good grades for it, you know? I mean, let's just keep doing it. And then people say afterwards, but brother, that was so exciting. That was so wonderful. But here's what I found out. This is what the Holy Spirit said. Chuck, it's not your word, it's mine. So stop playing with it and give it. Just say what it says. Because my word, God says, is quick and powerful. Your words aren't. Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifies. The word of God will strengthen you. The word of God will change you. This is what he says. I want you to remember this. I want, you to, I want to stir you up and put you in remembrance. I only have one thing left to do for the rest of my life. That's what Peter said. I have one thing to do, and that's to point to the word of God for you. Knowing that shortly, verse 14, I must put off this my tabernacle. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ has has showed me. In other words, he was told by Jesus he was going to die. He was even told how he was going to die. And soon that he was going to die. Moreover, I will endeavor. Not only will I keep reminding you while I'm alive. Moreover, I will endeavor. I will give all of my care and effort to this. That ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Isn't this amazing? I'm going to preach Christ to you today. I'm going to preach Christ to you tomorrow. I'm going to preach Christ to you the day after that. I want, when I'm gone, you know what I want you to remember? Christ. I want you to understand and remember the power of the Word of God. Period. That's it. That's it. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, I want you to remember me. Now, by the way, old Peter would have wanted you to remember Peter. Yes? Yes? Oh, Peter loved him some Peter, didn't he? Yes? Peter would have wanted to make sure, man, don't, I want you, when I'm done, I want you guys to remember how much better a preacher I was than John was. John, not that great a preacher. Pretty good servant, but not that great a preacher. But you will remember my sermons when I'm done. Amen? You'll remember them because I'll make sure that I have them all wonderfully alliterated. They'll start in, in, here in the Greek language and they'll go all the way through and you'll say, boy, he sure knew how to put together an outline. Somebody says. What does he want them to remember? The power of the Word of God. Now, I want you to see this. This is what he says. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. In other words, we're not being clever with the word of God. We are not being clever with our understanding. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we may note unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were there with him. We saw these things. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice 
to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, I want to talk about this for just a moment. I know I've mentioned this in the past. Do you know what this event is? You know what this event is, right? It's the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes? Right? Mount of Transfiguration. So who was there? Who was there? Okay. I shouldn't say it that way exactly because there were some people who were in the Old Testament that were there. It's pretty cool. Right? God the Father was there. The Lord Jesus was there. But who was there of the disciples? How many of them were there? Let's just say that. Three. Who was one of them? Peter. Okay. And, then, and, and this is what he's saying. I was there. I was there. I was there. I'm the one that said, hey, it's good to be here. You know what we should do? We should build three tabernacles, right? Three tents right here up on top. One for you, one for you, and one for you. And God the Father showed some glory down on them. They all fell down. And when they got up, he said, we saw none, none. There was nobody there anymore when we got up except for Jesus only. That's the sermon right there, by the way. Jesus only. Jesus only. What do you need? Jesus. What else do you need? Nothing. Nothing. The point of the pastor, the purpose of the pastor, is to tell you how great Jesus is. Because he's the only one that can change your life. This book and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's all you need. That's all you need. My responsibility is that you would know that. Week after week after week that you would understand just how powerful this word is all by itself and just how powerful God is to change you. So he says, I was there. I heard it. I saw it. And then he goes to verse 19, and wow, wow, is this important. This is a direct rebuke to all, I'm going to call it, I'm just going to call it contemporary Christianity. It has its form typically in a charismatic ver- version where people have a word for you. I have a word from you from God. No, you don't. I have a word from God right here. You understand? Now, this is really important because he's going to say this right here. Notice what he says. We have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, I'm testifying. I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm telling you that Jesus is who he says he is. But more important than my testimony is the word of God. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. In other words, from now until it's time to go home, the most important thing in your life is the word of God. Not the testimony of other Christians. The the testimony of other Christians can be wonderful. It can be thrilling. It can even be important. But it's not critical. What's critical is the word of God. That's what he's saying. Notice this. Knowing this first. Let's get to the foundation of what I'm saying concerning this. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, the Word of God is powerful all by itself. Not because J. Vernon McGee, who I happen to, you know, he was a tremendous blessing to me when I was a young baby Christian. He should be a tremendous blessing to you still, by the way. Yeah, through the Bible, five years. That's a lot faster than I can go through the Bible. Amen. Through the Bible in five years, very helpful, very, very. I listened for five years at least. I just listened all the time. Every afternoon, it worked out that as I was coming home from the Navy base, he was on. And I could listen to it over and over and over again. Tremendous help and a tremendous blessing. And all of that's wonderfully true. But the only reason it was helpful to me was because he stayed in the Word of God. 
He wasn't telling me his cleverness. He wasn't trying to be cute. He wasn't trying for me to remember him. He wanted me to know the word of God. That's what Peter's saying. No prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Where did your Bible come from? And the answer is God. Where did your Bible come from? God. Where did your Bible come from? God. I'm going to do it again. You're going to, I'm going to do it until all of you say it with me. Where did your Bible come from? God. It did. Your Bible came from God. It didn't come from Ezekiel. It didn't come from uh, Jeremiah. It didn't come from Moses. It didn't come from anybody. They were human instruments, right? It says, but, ho- but, uh, but holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved by who? The Holy Ghost. The Word of God came from God. The Word of God came from God. And, and who is the one that should teach it to you? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said. It's expedient for you that I go away. Because when I go, I'm going to send forth the Comforter. And when he comes, he's going to teach you everything. So you say, well, then what are you doing? And I would say the same thing. Then what is the pastor doing? What is the preacher or teacher doing? And the point is this, opening the Word of God and pointing to the fact that God the Holy Spirit is the one that you need. And yet we need someone week after week, more than week after week. That's why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. That's why we have so many functions at our church all week long, all the time. We assemble together to remind each other, look, 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 don't get your eyes off Jesus. Right? And we get our eyes on each other. Listen, good men, good men, good women, we can get our eyes off of Jesus and onto good men and women. Don't. I just told you what a blessing J. Vernon McGee was to me. But I don't look at J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee was helpful to me because he caused me to look at Jesus. Amen. Charles Spurgeon, tremendous help to me. Tremendous help to me. You want to know why? Because every sermon that I ever read that Charles Spurgeon preached broke both my knees. Step one, broke both my knees. And then he said, now that you're where you need to be, let me show you how great Jesus is. But he didn't just show me Jesus like, hey, you can add him to your life if you want to. He said, let me show you who you are and smack both of my knees. You know, one day I was reading a sermon by Spurgeon in the morning. I didn't have time to finish it before I went to work. And I was going through the day. It was a miserable day. And I was just so anxious all day long. And then at lunchtime, I read the other half of the sermon. And I realized, oh, don't ever do that again. Don't ever read half of a Spurgeon sermon because the first half of the sermon is to break your legs and then to point to Jesus. But if you don't get the Jesus part, you're just going to walk around with broken legs. And it is, listen, when you see you, it is disheartening. And it should be. But don't look at you and don't look at me. Look away to Jesus. And understand that the word of God is written by the powerful God who is the same God who promises to use that word to change your life. And that's the message. That's the whole point. We're going to spend more time. We're going to come back and go through these verses again together. But that's the whole point of what we're looking at together here. Understand this. Remember this. God can change you. God can change you. God is changing you. God is going to continue to change you. You will be more Christ-like tomorrow than you are today. How many of you are encouraged by that? I'm so greatly encouraged by the power of God to change me. So glad to know that Jesus is never going to give up. Amen? You know, there's a, there's a, a, a child song that I've heard. He's still working on me, right? He's still working on me. 
For the oldest person in the room who's a new creature will testify to this. He's still working on me. He's still working on me. But we must let him do that work. Amen? And here's the good news. You are his workmanship. Yes? Boy, that helps me a great deal. And I know I always point to the crown molding or something and say, you know, when you look at the crown molding, you don't admire the saw or the hammer or whatever it is that they put it up with. If you look at it and you say, this is really well done, then what you're really saying is someone knew what they were doing when they hung that crown molding. God wants your life to be so awesome that when people see you, they would say, Jesus must really be capable because I know the old you. And I know you're not capable of acting like this. And your testimony will be just like that. You're right. I'm not capable of acting like that. I'm not even a good vessel. I'm not even a good person. But Jesus is awesome. Amen? And how does he do it? So we see, we see what the change looks like, right? The very beginning, you just trust Christ. You just trust Christ. That when you trust Christ, he says, okay, now we're going to add to your faith virtue. And we're going to get rid of these terrible things in your life. Then we're going to help you to understand the Word of God is going to give you knowledge. That knowledge is going to cause you to have temperance. I no longer have to... Oh, listen to me. Please hear me. If God would rescue every single one of us from the need to be right, it would change our lives. Whenever people come to talk to me about someone else invariably, I do not believe that, I'm going to say this as an absolute, I believe it's absolutely true. When people come to talk to me about a difficulty they're having with someone else, they want to give me enough detail so I'll choose their side. And just that very act demonstrates that you don't have the victory that Jesus wants you to have yet. Because when you have the victory that Jesus wants you to have, you're you're going to care more about your brother or sister than you are about whether I take your side. Do you understand? Listen, Jesus is on your side, but he's not going to take your side. He's going to continue to tell you where you need to change. Yes? Remember when uh, Jesus told Peter what Peter was going to do? And Peter said, what did Peter say? What about John? You know, that guy that can't preach? What about John? What's he going to do? And what was Jesus' response to Peter? What is that to you? Follow thou me. Amen? If we really understood what brotherly kindness was, it's humbling. Because what that means is this, I have to be able to understand that the people around me will continue to fall short. They will. And instead of holding it against them, I will love them. And I will try to be a help to them. That's that's what God is wanting to accomplish in our life. That's the victory. And then we can work together to help the people who who know nothing about how great Jesus is yet. But first, those of us who do know how great Jesus is, we have to be able to allow him to work in our hearts together. Yes? Yes or no? I mean, really, you know, if you can't say yes to this, we might as well quit. Do you understand? If we can't say amen to what I just said, then we have no business being a church. Because it isn't about this program or that program or this children's group or going down and doing the CEF. It's about God changing us to be Christ-like. Yes or no? Amen? And, and listen, the longing for that is step one. And I thank God for that. From the time I was a babe in Christ, I knew that God wanted to change me. The problem is I kept trying to do it. And now I'm just not trying anymore. I don't care what you think about me anymore. If you understand what I'm saying, I don't care. I want you to think highly of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, <laughs> you have no idea how embarrassing it was to stand up here and have no idea where we were in the order of service this morning. 
And the, listen, it isn't that I lost the order of service in my mind. It's that when somebody started, when I said, now it's time to hear from the choir, and somebody said, no, it's not. I was like, what? <laughs> Do I have my pants on? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, know, you all had that dream, right? You know? Oh, no. I have no idea what's going on. And then I looked at John, and John's looking back at me, I don't know what's going on. And my son Andrew's like, I got a book, I'm going to lead him in a song here in a minute, you know. That's funny, except for I'm a little nervous. But I said that, because I'm a worse person than that. You understand? My shortcomings are worse than that. But my Savior is greater than that. That's what victory looks like. It's no longer about you. It's about your Jesus. It's about his power to change you. It's about being honest when you're not changed. I don't have victory here. I don't. But God promises victory here. So I'll be patient. And I'll be humble. And I'll ask it, Lord, make the victory here where I don't have it. But I'm not going to try to do it anymore. No more Cain worship. No more coming to God and saying, see how much better I'm doing. No more going to each other saying, see how much better I'm doing. Nope, don't care how much better you're doing. Really, honestly, let Jesus give you the victory. When Jesus gives you the victory, you're just going to quietly serve one another. And not just one another, everybody. And it will be easy for you to do it because you'll be like, no, I'm telling you, Jesus is powerful. Jesus is powerful. And he's caused me to not care about me anymore. He's caused me to care about you and you and you and you and you. And thank God he cares about us that way. Amen? Listen, if it were up to us, we would leave each other and forsake each other. Let's be honest. Right? If it were up to, if it were, if it were up to me and my strength to be your pastor, you'd need a new pastor. You'd have needed a new pastor a long time ago. And you'd say, that's okay, we would have voted you out a long time ago anyway. Amen? What we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to make the change in our And he's doing it, by the way. But I tell you, what, Thursday night, the meeting Thursday night, the men's meeting Thursday night was a tremendous blessing to me. The meeting Saturday morning, the men in the meeting, I, don't, I can't talk about the ladies' circle. I wasn't in the ladies' circle. The meeting, the men's circle, what God is showing men in our church was so encouraging to me about what we don't know, but what we're learning about what Jesus is showing us. And that's encouraging to me. That's what this is talking about. That's what the world needs. What the world needs is for local churches to be full of an understanding about how great Jesus is and to be humble enough to let him make the change that needs to be made. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us these couple of minutes together today. Lord, we ask you that you would, Lord, that this would not just be um, uh, interesting or helpful for the minute, but Lord, that we would be truly convinced and convicted comforted and helped by what your word says to us today by what we see here right here we have a more sure word of testimony all we need is the word of God and the God that gave his word to change us Lord we ask you that we would have this that we would settle for nothing less and that we would love one another as you'd have us to love one another that we would allow our brothers and sisters to grow in the same way that we know we need to grow that we would be living the kind of life that you'd have us to live that you'd get so much glory in our lives that we would rejoice together in your goodness Thank you, Father. Thank you for these things. We, we, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.